Hi, I'm Nancy Hanna. And I'm Dina Gottesman. And we are coming to you live from the 82nd Scientific Sessions at the American Diabetes Association. Live from New Orleans. Throughout today's episode of Beyond the Bolus, we'll be exploring the latest and most significant advancements in diabetes technology and taking a look at some of the most compelling new data presented at the event. Join us and our two exceptional guest speakers, Dr. Amy Krigo and Dr. Grazia Aleppo, as we discuss these topics and dive into the clinical data from Insulet's highly anticipated Omnipod 5, our latest automated insulin delivery system. We're planning to cover Omnipod 5's pediatric and adult extension data in order to help HCPs better understand key takeaways when considering using this technology for your patients and within your practice. Welcome. Dina. Yes. We're at 88 in person. It's so exciting. <laughs> it is so exciting. It's very, it's, it, it feels very novel and uh, pretty thrilling. We can see people face to face and not and through a computer them. screen. And hug them. I know. Yes. Hugs. We Hug. hugged. Yes, it was really we did. exciting. Long lost friends. How are you? High five. High five. <laughs> well, our first guest for today is Dr. Grazia Aleppo. Over her extensive career as an endocrinologist, Dr. Aleppo has helped in the treatment, prevention, and research of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Her primary clinical interest is exploring diabetes technology, particularly the application of insulin pump therapy and real-time CGM sensor therapy. Receiving her degree from the University of Catania, Dr. Aleppo is currently based in Chicago, Illinois, and is affiliated with the Northwestern Memorial Hospital. She has been in practice for more than 20 years and over her career has contributed to over 70 publications and medical journals. That's a lot. <laughs> I've been working for a while, right? <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Aleppo. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here today. We're also joined by Dr. Amy Krigo, our second guest on today's podcast. Over her extensive career as a pediatric endocrinologist, Dr. Krigo has helped in the treatment, prevention, and research of type 1 and type 2 diabetes in children. One of her primary clinical interests is exploring and applying modern diabetes technology, particularly in pursuit of patient care, allowing people with diabetes to lead flexible, active, normal lives while maintaining control over the chronic disease. Receiving her degree from the University of North Dakota, Dr. Krigo is currently based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and is affiliated with the International Diabetes Center. Dr. Aleppo and Dr. Krigo, welcome. It's a pleasure to meet you both in person. Yep. Great to be here. Great to be here, Amy. Good to see you again in face. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> it is really exciting. I mean, I know we're, we're joking about it, but it really is very exciting. <laughs> and a little bit anxiety provoking, yeah. sort of, yeah. after being out of it for so long. It feels... Yes. That's um, true. Yeah. Presenting on the stage has been... It's a new thing you need to relearn. <laughs> yes. It's not Zoom anymore, not Zoom. right? You, you wear be, pants. Don't, don't move your face. <laughs> now you move your face. No sweatpants. No sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> so we just have a couple of quick icebreaker questions just to warm us up a little bit. So where did you both travel from? Where are you going after this? I know we were speaking about this before. I traveled from Chicago and it was cooler there already. <laughs> and I got to New Orleans, which is like a 12, which was a sauna. Yeah. And um, after this, I'm going to the Endo at, in Atlanta, another hot place. Nice. Nice. You're getting your, <laughs> you're getting your humidity I am. quotient in. <laughs> and I traveled from Minneapolis where it was beautiful and sunny. Finally, uh, everything's growing and blooming. So it was sad to leave and get on the jetway in uh, New Orleans and my family's from Finland so I'll say sauna. Oh, oh sauna. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, felt I like a it. sauna when you Well, congratulations on spring finally arriving. We know how that is in Boston so absolutely, absolutely. Congratulations on that. Have you guys, when did you guys get in? 
yesterday at 12.30 uh, or so. And what about you, Dr. Kriego? I got in last night. So have you eaten anything particularly yummy so far? Not really. No? No. Oh, my no gosh. time. You know, the conference food is not exactly yeah. wonderful. And I haven't gone to dinner yet. You know, Do you have any exciting dinner plans? Because it's such a good food city. I've been here many times. I'm looking forward to my gumbo. Oh, <laughs> nice. Any beignets? I've had them before. I don't know that I will partake in that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talk about glycemic index. Yeah, no yes. kidding. It's- Perhaps no. We, we ordered well, them this morning, and it was like... Don't look in that bag. It, that the <laughs> entire bottom of the bag is powdered sugar. It's like two inches of powdered sugar. So if anybody needs a treatment for low, we're, we're That's good. right. We're here for you. We have our beignets. We have our beignets. Uh, just a quick question. What led both of you to specialize in diabetes? For me, it was the connection with the patient. When I was uh, a research fellow a long time ago, I was working with mice and rats. They don't talk back to you, so no. And then when I was a fellow, I started really falling in love with diabetes and actually the person with diabetes more than the actual, you know, all the pathophysiology, of course, that matters, but the person, so the interaction with the patient, it was what totally got my heart. And so that's why I do diabetes. That's awesome. Yeah. So my uh, path to diabetes started when I was six, so that's my personal experience, and as I went through medical school, I didn't always think that I would work in diabetes. When you have to manage your own diabetes every single day, taking on everybody else's doesn't always seem like the best idea. Yeah. But I had really great mentors in my residency, and um, it led me to fellowship. And I, I really enjoy endocrine as well. But um, diabetes is my passion, and the families and the kids are, that's why I go to work every day. Did you always know you wanted to work in pediatrics? That part I knew. I've okay. always liked kids. Yeah. I don't always love their parents, no, but course. I do like the kids yeah, of course. <laughs> most well, of the time. Yeah. Well, this is why I call pediatric endocrinology the angels of endocrinology, because it is so difficult to treat the entire family. Yes. Exactly. Is it not? Yes. yes, it absolutely yeah. is. But we, I mean, I feel privileged to be able to watch those kids grow up successfully and then transfer them on to people like Grazia. That's and when awesome. they come to us, we'll train is a joy. When they don't, <sighs> we need to work yeah. with them and engaged with them. and But I'll tell you something, I do some geriatric endocrinology now because my patients are living 60, 70 years with diabetes, yeah. so I deal with the kids. So it's the opposite of you, Amy, but it's just as bad. <laughs> you like the patients, but not the kids. <laughs> That's hysterical. So that makes you an angel of endocrinology yeah, as well. Well, I think we all do it because we love it, right? That's, that's for sure. That's, we all get to help people, and I think that's the, the driving, the, the common denominator for everybody. Well, it's especially exciting with all the innovative technology that's come through. It gives us so many fantastic options and tools in the toolbox to help people do what they want to do every day. Well, it's funny you say that. I was going to ask both of you, actually, about that. Particularly, interestingly, with the geriatric population, how the technology has changed how you're managing them now? It has made a huge impact on my patients. I tell you, before, even 10 years ago, there was not such access for patients with diabetes to CGM, for example, and now they do. And these people, these octogenaries, are loving it. They're not going to give it back. And in fact, it helps also the families right. because it's the opposite of the kids. But, you know, hypoglycemia is for everybody, you know, hypo, yep. like young and old. And so these patients truly do well and they feel their life is given back to them. And that's a precious thing to, to hear from somebody with diabetes for 40, 50 years, afraid of hypoglycemia. And it's just very, very impactful. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Dr. Krigo, tell us about how the technology has impacted your population. Oh, absolutely. Well, CGM in particular, we're starting it on day one, if not day two or three after they're diagnosed. And 
just for the the kids are maybe not taking it in. They don't know anything different. Mm -hmm. But for the parents, if they have any experience with diabetes and how it was managed and how glucose was monitored previously, this has been just a game changer for better sleep at night, for more sleepovers and camps and sports. And it just really is, is incredible. And now with the automated insulin delivery devices, their availability has been increasing and it just keeps expanding and it's fantastic. It is. My patients say, this is a game changer. They say, I can sleep at night and I want to wake up in a good range. And for them, that patients who have jobs need to go to work and or family, it is a huge help, really. What, what technology are you all most excited about that's being presented here at these scientific sessions? Well, I wasn't able to go to the presentation yesterday on the on the bionic pancreas, so I was I will be watching that one by myself, I guess, in my hotel room <laughs> later. Um, but I think again, it's just everything is expanding, and the more options there are, the better it is for patients to be able to choose what's gonna what's going to help them the most. But the and the on body experience with the Omnipod Five for our younger athletes, and to be able to not have the tubing and it's waterproof and wearable and they don't have to think about anything else other than when it needs to be changed next. I think that is incredible and people are so excited in clinic. We've been overwhelmed. Yes, the phone rings all the time. But what I'm thinking yesterday, for example, if you think about the different kinds of AID, the automated insulin delivery, you think, do you need more? Yes, we do, because everybody's different. So what works for one person works for the other. And to see there are so many different types of device that can work for different kinds of people, it really is encouraging. And the other thing is that there is so much going on in terms of making these tools even better, more responsive. The meal is still a challenge. The exercise is still a challenge. So to see that people are working on that, it really is very encouraging to me. Yeah. Yeah. It really. I mean, I think that you make such a good point about making sure that there's something for everybody, having options. I think that's so important because diabetes doesn't, it's not one size fits all, right? Whether you're dealing with a six-year-old or a 60-year-old, uh, they're going to come with very different challenges. But also we see patients today who have had diabetes for a long time, but also in the adult, I see patients who just got diagnosed as a 30-year-old. And for them, if they can have the chance to do easier instead of having to do all those many finger sticks or injection and go to a system that lets them do the least amount of and just less stress for them, that's huge. And so again, I'm thinking, who can use this system? It depends on the patient's life, the patient's story. So what's one feature that you think that stands out to you as being the most impactful in terms of, of that? The thing is, it depends. You see what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you think about, um, let's say, the control IQ, it's very flexible. It's very changeable. You can adjust a lot of things. If you think about the eyelid, you don't do anything because it does everything yourself. If you think about OP5, no tubing. You know how important people get stuck in the door all the time? Have you ever tried a pump? I've tried all the pumps. And I've got stuck, whoa, in a drawer or something. So to me, again, think about young people who have, even older people who have difficulty with sights because they've used injection for a while. You can use the pot everywhere. And so, again, it is the availability and the uh, choice option for patients that it makes a huge difference. I agree completely with everything you said. I think the personalized targets that are available in the Omnipod 5 system have been beneficial for our younger age group because sometimes the parents aren't comfortable with having that set target in the other systems. So that's been 
a win for them. And I think they're also really liking the ease of the insertion. It's the same every time. You adhere it to the body and the rest is taken care of with the push of a button. So that has been, um, I think, a difference from some of the other systems that, you know, with the tube pumps that are, that has been a win for our patients in the younger Yeah, the adjustable target. I agree with you, Amy, because some patients, even my older patients or adult patients, don't feel comfortable with the 110. They want to be in the 130s. And so that's very helpful for them for fear of hypoglycemia, even though they are not kids anymore. Absolutely. What's a challenge that you are finding in terms of using the AID systems for both of your populations? I think the biggest challenge that we found um, in some of our mostly adolescent boys, they have very high insulin needs. And so um, it's prompting them to have to change sites and, and fill reservoirs more frequently. And so, you know, if somebody's using 120 units per day, that, that can be a limiting factor depending how much the reservoir will hold. So that has been the most recent thing that I've been running into. So it's fresh in my mind and that's been one of the challenges. So hopefully there'll be more to come on that either with, you know, stronger insulins or bigger, you know, capacity to hold more insulin. I don't know. I don't know if you run into that. I had the same issue. So because, you know, type 1 patients are longer lean as they used to be 30 years ago. So some of my patients, adult, are really up there. And so some challenges like that. But also for me, what it's challenge sometimes is to teach the patient this is a medical tool. You need to be educated. And I know they can do themselves a lot, but it's not just a phone. So we need to really emphasize the importance of training and education because when they do well with the training, they use this, They don't fight the system. That's a challenge that I found in clinical practice to be, sometimes they don't understand how the system works. They try to fight it and they don't get the advantages of all the features. Can you give us some examples of fighting the system? They don't want to pre-bolus, they don't bolus at all, or they try <laughs> to make their overrides, they make their own boluses. I said, don't help the algorithm. The algorithm is okay if you let it do what it's supposed to do. Right. So what do you think, Amy? Same yeah. thing for you? No, yeah, we definitely run into the same thing. People that don't engage with it often enough and then people who are maybe too engaged in manipulating things to try to get it to maybe work in a way that they think would be better for themselves. But it doesn't. It in doesn't. the end, In the end, it doesn't work as well. So do they come to terms with that and then kind of follow suit by actually listening to what you recommended yeah, in the first place? I, I think they do, absolutely. And I think it's harder for people to surrender the power, so to speak, if they've had diabetes for a longer duration. Yeah. Um, for the for the newer diagnosed patients who have no history of maybe manipulating anything, they come into it and use it as build and then get the education and trust it. See, that's when you are supposed to be a, a patient person when you take care of people with diabetes. You can't be impatient because you lose your hair. So you go every day and say, okay, let's do one more thing. Let's try it. And this is why, actually, the different types of systems are so important. Some people can't deal with do it all. They have to engage because they have diabetes for 40 years and they were used to do all of that when they were younger. So they have a hard time giving back the power or be co-pilots. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think is an important Interesting. Thing. I like co-pilots. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm stealing that. that. We may have to use that in <laughs> our yeah, trainings. Because yes. it is. That's, I feel like half of what we have to do is manage expectations and have them understand we're not at a place right now where you can just stick it on and forget it or put it on and forget it, right? It doesn't work that way yet. But we or, don't want to under-train patients either because if it breaks, they will not know how to do an exactly. injection. What do you think, yeah. Amy, right? No, absolutely. So we always have the backup plan and talk about it at every visit. What will your doses be if something isn't working and you have to return to your you know, your basic therapy with injections. I'm curious, how do they do? If that happens, do you find that they remember what you've said or are they forgetting? They usually call us. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Which is good. They know who to call. That's they, good. That's they important. Do. They do one. know who to call. Good. They call from Mexico too and say, I'm on vacation. My palm broke. I've gotten the calls. syringes? Yes. No. Okay, let's go to oh, Farmacia. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's find out how insurance works in Mexico. Um, just, you know, to take this in a little bit of a different direction, when you're trying to determine, you know, which AID system will fit for your patient, how does clinical data fit into that? Yeah, I, I mean, we talk about the clinical data. I think, you know, looking at time and range data, they're all pretty comparable. And so there isn't any, any one system that wins the day. And, you know, for our patients, it really comes down to the features of it, tubing versus no tubing. And, and that kind of makes the decision for them. We talk about the algorithms. You know, now that the Omnipod 5 is more available, talk about the personalized targets, whereas the other systems right now, you can't change the target. It is what it is. And I think that those are the basic features. The size matters in younger people, you know, um, especially the kids. And we have the kids look at them, too. They're the ones that are going to be wearing it. And so um, it's important for them to ha- to be bought in on it. And, I mean, usually when they hear you don't need to do shots very often anymore, that, you know, the conversation is over. Yes. <laughs> so. yeah, well, for totally. us, we have something called the Cool Tool class. Oh. That's what oh. it's called. That's and we give the class three times a month or three, four times a month. And people really get to see all the tools and choose. I say, I don't buy your shoes. I don't buy your phone. I don't buy your pump. It's a very personal thing you have to have. So, of course, we're there to answer many, many questions. We do answer the question, but I want them to see what the tool is and what it does or what it doesn't do for them so they can have more of an understanding. Sometimes I have to guide some people, but usually they're very good about understanding what, because, again, it's a very personal tool. They got to wear all the time. I'm curious, Dr. Kriegel, how, and also Dr. Aleppo, how do you manage you know, when there's a situation in families, you know, either the geriatric family with their children or the, the pediatric family, and there's a little bit of a disagreement about which system to go with. How do you how do you help guide that conversation? And does clinical data come into that? Or is it more about, you know, let's talk about features and benefits? And how do you manage that? So we, we don't have classes, but we have an individualized education session with our, with our CDCES team, and they go through everything so thoroughly, um, including some of the clinical data. I have never actually run into a situation where one parent thought one would be better than the other. Um, so I guess I don't have any experience Phew. in answering that question. That's it's, good. That's a good thing. It's been concrete in their decision together as a Same. family. Good. Same. The one thing that patients who have older adults like is that they can see the text, if they're easy to insert. So these are the choices. So, but they already know their challenges is for their kids is to, if they can follow their, their CGM through the uh, follow-ups. That's the one thing that really is the most important. Other than that, I haven't had much experience either. Well, that's, that's nice. good. That is good. That I is guess very being, good. Being supported. Yeah. To pivot a little bit and kind of talk about the LMR and the, I guess you guys were also lucky enough to be part of the Pivotal trial. Were you surprised at the percentage of folks that went from Pivotal to the extension phase? No, my patient would not want to leave the ponds. <laughs> they don't want to give up. <laughs> what about you, Amy? Yeah, no, the retention rate, I mean, going into the extension study was 95% of the participants. I think that speaks really highly of how people felt about using the product. And we have had now in the last month, as things have become more widely available after the limited market release, very much interest. You know, a lot of current pod users Mm -hmm. are obviously wanting to stick with what they're doing, but other people too are thinking, you know, with the way that this is being launched through pharmacy, maybe it's something that I want to give a try because they won't be stuck in a four-year warranty 
issue where they wouldn't be able to go back to what they were using before. So I think it's been innovative in not only the product itself, but also in how it's being distributed and being available access. to people for with better access. Yeah. So. That's nice to hear. Yeah. Our phone lines are hot. Our patients are calling, but in my chart messages, I had to make two that phrases to yeah. tell my nurses. That's what you're going to tell them because well, it's nonstop. Smart. And we got overwhelmed with the number because I've been waiting for so long for that. Yes. But also some patients who want to move from other pumps because of the variable target. And some people feel uncomfortable with 110. I have a couple of patients who told me they would like to try the higher level. Of course, they can do it because it's a pharmacy benefit. It doesn't affect their patients. Uh, pump use. Yeah. Did you have to do a lot of fine-tuning and tweaking to the bolus calculator or any of the settings as they continued on through the extension phase? The most work was done for me during the pivotal trial. The next 12 months was to continue to remind the bolus correctly to make sure you did, that you do the right, you know, don't change your targets too often, don't do too much temporary, you know, that sort of a exercise activity if you don't need to, uh, go easy on the correction of the hypoglycemia, don't overdo it. But the, the most was in the first three months was the most of changes. And then it was sort of continued. We reassessed, but didn't have to change much. Maybe a little bit different in the younger cohort because we they're growing and changing and their doses need to be changed frequently regardless of how they're delivering their insulin. So we saw a lot more adjustments. And in the extension study, you know, seeing them every three months, I think it was pretty rare that there wasn't something that was changed. Usually the carb dosing. And then again, re-emphasizing, yes, you do need to bolus before you eat. You still need to bolus before you eat. So, um, yeah, and I don't know that that will ever go away. I think right. that's an exactly. education that just keeps on coming. Yeah, yeah. It's was such a good point. Was there anything that, that stood out to you that you didn't expect from the trial? In the younger age group, I would say that the adaptability of the pod to change um, throughout their use over that extended phase was incredible. And looking at the insulin needs at the beginning toward to the end, um, some of them were using three times as much insulin just because they, I mean, they also grew six or eight inches. You know, it was six to 13 year olds and then the younger adult group were also teenagers. So we saw a lot of changed insulin wow. needs throughout the study. I saw mostly change in bolus because we people tend to under bolus and we had to sort of, because he said once the basal is automated, it shows the inadequacy of carb counting, bolusing. So we had to really say, just let's work together and to find out how we can optimize your bolusing so that it's less of a postprandial curve. And yeah. I think people got more comfortable with their bolusing too because they, um, you know, they knew that the system was going to make up for whatever they were off a little yes. bit. <laughs> yeah. How long do you think that transition was for them to kind of trust the system? My patients were so happy to be on the system. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't care. <laughs> they didn't care. That's great. <laughs> I mean, it was the fastest recruitment in, in history. It, I recruited my patients in wow, 12 that's minutes. that's amazing. Really? You fully recruited in 12 minutes? Yes, I did. <gasps> That's how so you time Once it? we got permission to start, <laughs> yeah. I sent my patient emails, wanted to do it, okay. and I got my, my slots filled in 12 minutes. Wow. wow. That's impressive. I don't know what to do. That's, That's amazing. That's awesome. That's amazing. So it was a hot product. Yeah. It was a hot product. <laughs> well, just such an intrigue and interest in it. I think people were waiting and waiting, waiting. so they were ready. Absolutely. 
So just thinking about a little bit of more of the extension data, what are each of your thoughts about the data regarding glycemic outcomes with the Omnipod 5 systems? So looking at the data, the, the hypoglycemia in the older cohort, the 14 and overs, they had a reduction in their median time spent in hypoglycemia, about eight minutes per day, which doesn't seem like a lot, but if you add that up over a year, that's, you know, that's a lot of time. And I think they also probably felt more more comfortable and so um, they, you know, their glycemia, their time and range improved quite a bit too. And these were people that were not um, horribly managed pre-study. So to see that improvement I think was incredible and that reduction in the, in the time spent in hypoglycemia. For the younger age group, they kind of held, the, held their own. They weren't spending a lot of time in hypoglycemia, but they had a bigger increase in time and range because their parents were more afraid of hypoglycemia. So I think it sort of fits with what we see clinically, and it just shows that the, you know, the automation is beneficial on both ends for you know, reducing hyperglycemia, but also reducing the fear and the exactly. incidence of hypoglycemia. Again, the thing that they say is a game changer overnight. I'm not afraid, and they're afraid. I'm not afraid to be more gutsy, if you will, with their boluses. But I saw the amazing change in time and range for the kids. It really is amazing because there's comfort and confidence in the patient, but also in the parents. I think. What do you think, Amy? Absolutely, absolutely. They they trust it and they feel confident giving the doses and knowing. I think a lot of for the younger kids too. Sometimes there was a fear of giving the insulin before eating because you weren't really sure what they were going to eat, but they felt more comfortable making an estimated guess and not completely under underdosing because they, they knew that the you know if the system needed to turn it down it would turn it down and there would be no additional insulin delivery. And that happens to my patients who work. If they say, okay, do I take the full dose? What if I do something else? We can take half. The pump will be able to to, to take over and help you with your um, you know insecurity. And it did. But they need to do something. Something. Something is better than nothing. (laughs) I always say we're beggars, we're not choosers. So we told the patient to help us out. Well, I think it's interesting because I think, you know, prior to automation, families, even, you know, with any sort of non-automated system, like the Omnipod Dash, let's say, would still bolus after the meals for their smaller kiddos, right? Because of that fear of hypoglycemia. But what you're saying is now they are just much braver about pre-bolusing, which is pretty amazing. Yes, I think so too. I've I had do. two and three-year-olds that don't have type 1 diabetes, and I can never predict who's going to eat what, yep. ever. Yep, yep. And I, I mean, and I don't envy them having to, you know, try to predict what a kiddo thinks they're going to eat. And sometimes their eyes are definitely bigger than their stomach, oh, and yeah. then, you're, then you're stuck. So, But to be able to give a little bit of insulin ahead of time, and, you know, they can always add in more if there's more eaten, but um, they they trust it and feel confident in doing that. Especially for the hypoglycemia protection, yes. when the system can really put the brakes and say, uh-uh, not too much, we're going down, let's hold. That's really important. Yeah, and we even had some of our patients that would, you know, if they didn't eat exactly what they thought they were going to eat, you know, then they would use the activity setting for a little while afterwards so that you really, you know, I always tell them, well, you can't give, Less insulin than no insulin, so I'm not. But <laughs> I, you know, the, it may, it gave them comfort in knowing that the target would be a little bit higher for a while. So um, that's another thing. This is important because another patient also did one particular patient. So see, it's not at the age; it really is the. <laughs> I think the behavior and also the the feeling that is a safety net. I believe that would be the thing to say because I had a specific patient I was talking about before. Did the same thing. I said, "What are you doing? Because I want to make sure I don't go low." Fine, you're cool. I'm okay. <laughs> 
So it's pretty amazing. They can manipulate the system in a lot of different ways where they wouldn't have been able to before, and they're still getting a little more insulin than previously where they would have been taking nothing. Because the smart basil goes and helps them out. Right. Right? Yeah. right. Well, and also the, the bolus calculator is a little bit smarter, too, in, in changing, the, you know, changing the dose based on not only the CGM value, but also on the sensor trend. So people have liked that, too. Yes, that's huge. Because if you don't account for that, then you're always going to be behind if the trend there is going up. So that's a huge advantage of this bolus calculator. Right. Exciting. I mean, it sounds like what everything you're saying matches with the clinical data in terms of your confidence in the OP5 system. It does? Yeah. I mean, that's just as a clinical person, that's so nice to hear from folks who are actually really involved in it. Sometimes it gets even better when you're using a lot of patients in clinical practice because you discover more things you can do and how patients can really take everything out of it and try to do it to use it for their best that they can offer to them. I've seen this in other AIDs when people really say, I could do this more. Okay, I'm going with you. Yeah, I agree. And it's been exciting in the last two weeks. I've had people that have actually gotten it, you know, that weren't part of the limited market release and just happened to have a visit scheduled. So I'm seeing them, you know, three weeks after they've started it. And to see the, the benefit mimic what we saw in the extension data, there's more time in range than the three months ago that I saw them. And one in particular, a lot less hypoglycemia. She was at 8% below 70 and now it was 2.3%, which is, I mean, that was phenomenal. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. That's awesome. That is phenomenal. Wow. Wow. That's so nice to hear. That is so (laughs) nice to hear. Well, you know, we're going to wrap this up, but Dr. Aleppo and Dr. Krigo, thank you once again for joining us for our very first inaugural episode live from the ADA in person where we can actually see you and hug you and shake hands with you. Um, Thank you so much for for all of your time, your knowledge and your expertise. It's truly invaluable information and your personal insights are much appreciated, truly. Dr. Krigo and Dr. Aleppo, I know you guys are both speaking today where can we find you? What are you guys talking about? I'll be at the ePoster Theater um, at 1230, um, presenting the extension data for the Omnipod 5 over 15 months. Then on Monday, I will be um, chairing and speaking at a symposium on COVID-19 and, and hypoglycemia risk and prevention. So I'm speaking today on uh, A1C versus time in range, nuances and pitfalls, always the hard topic, right? And then I'm speaking also tomorrow, I have a poster on Terzepatide, and Monday I'm having a wonderful time here with the product theater for Omnipod. Yay! Fantastic. Excellent. Thank you so much. We really, truly do appreciate you guys spending your spending some time with us today here at the ADA. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. That was such an incredible conversation with Dr. Aleppo and Dr. Krigo. The data is remarkable, and I think I could speak to them all day long about it, but of course they had to go. It was really powerful and impactful, I think, to hear it from them, from their actual experiences. Absolutely. And how excited they are for their patients to get on on the system. That felt really nice. It's real. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I was so proud. Me too. Me too. Well, now it's time to go eat some alligator. I don't know about that, um, but (laughs) I definitely look forward to some nice New Orleans grub. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Have a great night. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. (laughs) 